0: On this episode of the The Sam D podcast, the Celtics take a 2-1 lead. Is it a commanding 2-1 lead? Is this series just gonna go back and forth until we get down to game seven? Are the others gonna be reliable every other game? Is Jalen Brown now the front runner for finals MVP? The Utah Jazz need a new coach? Has that coach already been picked? Was Quinn Snyder run up out the building? And does that mean Spider Mitchell won't be at the Mecca? While the blue check boys are jumping out the window reminding you of all the allegations that are continue to grow against Browns QB Deshaun Watson. Jack Del Rio and those like him keep living their truth and speaking their truth with little to no recourse. Y'all know what type of time I'm going to be on with that. The habitual nut hitter seems to think he's ushering in the new era of quote, new media. Is that actually a thing? I'll get into all of that and more on the latest episode of the The Cindy Podcast. Previous. Hello and welcome to the, the CMD podcast. I'm your host, Sam May Jr. Follow me on the, yeah, it's pretty much looking like the Elon app at the CMD. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is also up there at the CMD podcast, all one word. For all content, audio and visual, hit up thecmd.com. Subscribe to the podcast, rate five stars, not the less, tell a friend podcast available on all major podcasts and platforms including the purple app and the rogan app subscribe to the youtube channel season one of trash narratives is up there season two is on the way I promise you musical production done by Mayfirst music support him at soundcloud.com slash Mayfirst music if I would have told you a week and a half ago that through three games of the NBA finals your man's Wardell. Steph Curry would be averaging over 30 a game and shooting almost 50% from three. Would you believe me if I told you they were down in the series? <laughs> <laughs> I know, he's top five, right? Top 10. Yeah, he's, he's, he's entering that conversation, right? He's, he's on the verge of being that guy, right? <laughs> oh, empty stats? Are we ready to have a conversation? Are we ready to talk about Wardell in these empty threes? <laughs> and, you know, look, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it, but after what happened in game three, after the way that the Dubs got bully-balled, after the way that the habitual nut-hitter Draymond Green got sunned and got taken out of his own game, by the likes of Robert Williams. Robert Williams stood up for Big Al. Big Al Horford got thugged out, got sung, got punked, whatever word you want to use in game two, and Robert Williams was having none of that in game three. You also have to look at Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, there was a great vid on Twitter, and it kind of surmised what he was able to do and what he can do when he's really fully engaged, which clearly he wasn't in game two, Game three, you saw Marcus Smart do everything. They showed one possession where he guarded four different Warriors on one possession. Four different Warriors. And that's what goes into what the Warriors' biggest bugaboo actually is, is a lack of size. The fact that Weissman has never been in the mix, the fact that they've never went out and gotten a guy at the trade deadline, just a big guy that can provide some size because their whole thing is positionless basketball. Positionless. Everyone is interchangeable. When there's Marcus Smart actually being positionless and shutting down four out of the five Warriors on the court in one possession. That's positionless. When a guy that's 6'3 and is stout can hold his own against a Steph, a Clay, a habitual nut hitter, and a Wiggins all on the same possession, he just sunned four out of your five starters. He sunned them. They Neither one of them, not now, any one of the four could go anywhere on that one possession. That's how engaged he was. That's how Robert Williams was engaged. And the rest of the guys fed off of that. We finally got a game where both Tatum and Brown went off. What the hell can the Warriors do against that? What the hell can the Warriors do when they both go for 25 plus? Now, while I've been saying this about stop, it's really turned into... They can't have a third guy. Game one, it was Jalen Brown, Horford, and Smart was close to 20. So you had Brown and Horford over 20, and Smart was right there close to 20. I think they had 18. Now in game three, you have Tatum and Brown. Brown leading everyone, 27 points. Tatum with 26. And then you had Marcus Smart with 24. That you cannot have. If you're the Dubs, you cannot have that. So how do you stop that? Steve Kerr, there's a young man that you've had making love to the bench for the majority of not only the playoffs, but the majority of the season. That young man is a monster. That young man is also a rookie. And I know how you give it up with that Popovich, Phil Jackson coaching tree. I understand. I get it. I really don't get it, but I get it how you think you get it. Jonathan Kaminga needs to get run. Now, this isn't because he hooped in New York. This isn't because he hooped in Jersey. I'm just saying the kid can hoop. You talk about positionless basketball, imagine if they had two Wiggins out there from a defensive standpoint. Two Wiggins. Because obviously, Dollar is not healthy enough. And there's a video floating around of him trying to coach up Wiggins after Wiggins made a, a mistake defensively. Dollar went right up to him and got in his ear and was giving it to him while Steve Kerr just marinated it in the background. So obviously, Eagle Dollar is a coach slash player at this point. Emphasis more on coach than player. So who can fill that role of Eagle Dollar not being able to hoop? How about someone who's 6'8 and 210? That's damn near peak Andre Eagle Dollar's stats. If you're not hip, let me hip you. To Jonathan Kaminga. He's about 6'7", 6, 6'8". 6, He's got a 6'11 wingspan. This is straight from his draft profile. Freakish athlete with explosiveness, strength, and great body control. He also has a solid skill set with the ability to handle and pass the ball. His forte appears to be on the less glamorous end. Defense. Where his quickness, strength, and height can disrupt opposing wings and forwards. Kaminga has to build, speed, and drive to defend positions one through four in the NBA. Here's the real kicker of it all. You want to know what his NBA comparison is? Jalen Brown. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a dude that's being compared to Jalen Brown marinated on your bench marinated on your bench who is hooping in the g-league hooping in the g-league this ain't no one and done he ain't really get no run this is a dude that was hooping getting run in the g-league seventh overall and he's making love to that bench in the nba finals when your team is being decimated by switches because your best player allegedly it's too damn small and is too damn light in the ass and gets bully ball. Cause the other team is just hunting him every goddamn possession. Cause he's Swiss cheese. He's food. Steph Curry is food. And you got Kaminga out there who, by all the experts, can guard one through four. One through four exactly the type of person you need on the floor with a Wiggins who could do the same with a clay who could do the same and with a habitual nut hitter who could do the same. They need size because they still need Wardell's 30. They still need that, but the switching is decimating the dubs right now. Now game two, they did less of the switching. They stopped playing the zone and it went more to man and they refused to switch as high as the rate as they did as they did in game one. What the hell happened between that and flying the Boston to now reverting back to auto-switching everything? I have no idea. To me, that's coaching. What happened to, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Clearly, the intensity level was raised in game two. The effort was there because, again, you don't want to go down 2-0. But now you have a chance to go on the road and still won. Just like the Celtics stole one in game one. you could steal one back. And you shit the bet on the road. They did not match the intensity coming out. They had to know. They had to know. Despite Scott Foster being the, the lead official. Despite all of that. And it's always salute Scott Foster here. Y'all yeah, know why. Basketball guys. <laughs> but despite Scott Foster, it was the energy. It was the effort. The Celtics had all of it, and the Doves had none of it. Jalen Brown, again, for the second straight game, comes out gangbusters in the first quarter. Goes crazy with that, 17? Went nuts. Because, again, Wiggins is doing his job. Wiggins is making things difficult for Tatum, and Tatum is good, so he's going to get his, but he's going to have to work extra hard for it. The thing is, now, if Jalen Brown could cook the other three, if he could cook a clay, if he could cook a habitual nut nutheader, who was also food, by the way, a lot was made of Steph being iso up and hunted on and how the, the Celtics shot a ridiculously high field goal percentage when they were guarded up one-on-one by Steph, and that's fair, but also habitual nut hitter this alleged millennial Dennis Rodman was food, too. So if Jalen Brown can continuously cook the habitual nut hitter and the clay and hunt Steph and catch him on the switch and bully ball him in the paint, there needs to be an adjustment with this rotation and it's not Glove Jr. He's also too little. If we know it's not Poole, he's definitely too little. There's not a lot of size on this roster. leech is a big man by definition, but not by actuality. He's your typical Euro big. He's the tallest dude on the roster. That's not Weissman. So who else do you have? You have a 6'8 guy with a 6'11 wingspan who's chilling on the bench. This front office that's being lauded for revolutionizing basketball decided we're not going to have any bigs. We're not going to go get a big off the scrap heap just in case we face a team in the East that has a big. Now let's run that down. If the Dubs would have had to face the heat, they would have had to go up against Bam Adebayo. Now, you can make whatever argument you want in terms of him being passive-aggressive, but the fact of the matter is he would have had a size advantage against all them dubs. They would have needed a big for him. If it would have been the Bucs, who on the goddamn dubs would have been guarding Giannis or even Brooke Lopez? And if it would have been the Nets, who the hell is guarding KD? Hell, if it would have been the Sixers. I mean, but we know the Sixers. (laughs) I mean... OBS, I still can't say it. <laughs> hey, but at least Joel made the finals. He made it. Y'all saw that commercial? <laughs> it's the only way. It's literally the only way he's going to make it. But even if they would have surpassed all of that, overcome the odds and made it to the finals, who the hell would have been guarding MB? You think Looney or Habitual Not Hitler would have stood a chance? This is roster mismanagement. That there's not one big, whether in the backup capacity or whatever, that's on this roster. Because Robert Williams and, to an extension, Al Horford, are now bully balling. Robert Williams put the battery in Al Horford's back by protecting him. Now, all of a sudden, Al Horford is out here flexing again and his pops is in the front row like it's all happening. It's all Punta Cana DR heavy now. That Robert Williams had Al Horford's back. What the hell do the Dubs do outside the play Kaminga? Who else is on this roster? You want to run down this, this Warrior roster? Who else is here that Steve Kirk can dust off that hasn't gotten any significant run? There's literally, I'm going down this roster right now in real time. I don't know who that person is. I don't know who this person is that they could dust off. Let's see. No. There's no one here. And that's the whole thing of positionless, positionless. Well, there's a position you can't guard. For all this positionless talk, there's a position you clearly cannot guard. When your best interior defender is 6'6", that's a problem. And if Kaminga goes out there and gets chewed up, at least you tried. Because the fact of the matter is, right now you're going out there with Jordan Poole getting Swiss cheesed up with Steph, who's always been Swiss cheesed up, with now your alleged best defender in Draymond, the habitual nut hitter Green, being food. So now what? I'm not saying dust off Moody. I don't think Moses Moody is ready, and I don't know where he fits in. If you want to maybe give, I I wouldn't give Glove Jr.'s minutes to Moses Moody. So no, you you can't even do that. So Moody doesn't have a fit here. Kaminga clearly does. Now, unless there's a reason outside of him being a rookie that he can't hoop right now, I need to know it. I need to know it. We know why Weissman's not there. Why is Kaminga not hooping? You'll throw him in in garbage time when the game is pretty much decided, but you won't give him a chance? You won't give him a chance to put a spark in the arm? Clearly, the Dubs keep having to come back from deficits. Clearly, the Celtics jump out the leads, and then the Warriors have to figure it out and settle in and make that wave. When they make that wave, what happens when that wave dissipates? There's a lack of energy after that wave. Who's gonna re-reignite the next wave? It could be a Kaminga. I just ran down the Scouting report. He brings energy on defense. He's an explosive finisher. They compare him to Jalen Brown. He's right there. On the bench. There's a narrative that's been building and it came to a head when I was chopping it up with the homie, Greg Larner at ESPN radio out there in Tennessee. Who's more important to a victory others or stars playing like stars. And it's very interesting to me because while you need your stars, you've heard Shaq. Even I have come on here at times and say, Hey, look, man, when the other over overachieves, that's, a bonus that you can't even quantify. And while we can dissect the games, one in three in the Celtics victories in Pars, hey, look, when the Celtics have three guys are in or around 20 points, they're going to get that dub. The fact of the matter is, what's been more important? The fact that it's been one of their stars consistently hitting those numbers? Or the fact that he's had help with other guys Jumping out the window and overachieving for a game or two. Because Marcus Smart went from 18 in game one to two to 24. That's inconsistent. You can't depend on that. By that logic, he should have a shitty game four. And then have a dope game five, a shitty game six, and then a phenomenal game seven. If it gets that far. But Jalen Brown's been right there the whole night. He had high 20s in game one, he had 17 in game two, and then he had 27 in game three. That star is playing like a star. And I've been asked that question, like, is Jalen Brown a star? He's a star. The next question is, is he a superstar? We don't got time for that. We will discuss that after this series, essentially. But Jason Tatum, who's been gifted superstar status off rip, I mean, has he played like a superstar? I'm asking. I'm legitimately asking. The numbers will bear it out. The numbers will tell you. He's, I mean, look, that man think he Kobe. Okay, so that man think he Kobe, and he damn sure is shooting like Kobe. 9 of 23. 9 of 23. So he putting them up. And it's that aggressiveness that has made him be considered what he is in the league. He's the marquee guy. But as I've been preaching here, when it goes through Jalen Brown, when Jalen Brown is playing to his level, this Celtics team is different. It was true when it was the boy genius, and it's true now with Fidoka. When Jalen Brown is hoping, no matter what Tatum does, because we saw it in game one, it didn't matter that Jalen Brown wasn't getting his shit off. He was Brick City 3 of 17. Didn't matter. his Jalen Brown was going crazy he was playing like a star. He was being that consistent star-level performance. He was giving you that type of performance. And he's been that through three games. Now, you could kill him for disappearing in the second half of game one. Excuse me, game two. But the fact of the matter is is that in the two wins, Jalen Brown's been there. And in two wins, Jason Tatum doesn't always have to be there. That, to me, makes a lot of sense because when you have the best wing defender on the dubs guarding Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown has to cook whoever else. And two out of three games, he's been doing that. And those are both of the games that the Celtics have won. But then when you throw in Al Horford, who went crazy, six threes, and most ever in his career in game one, then he's kind of falling back to earth over the next two games. All right, he's an other. You can't depend on that. And then you have the Marcus Smart thing where he's dropping 24 and he can lock up four different Warriors on one possession. So what's been more important? The fact that Jalen Brown's been hoping consistently at a star level or the fact that Al Horford gave you a game? Marcus Smart has come up big twice. What's been more important? Because you seen Derek White come crashing back to earth. He's the other. Robert Williams has given you all that he could with limited mobility. His biggest impact was clearly in game three. Do you want to call that a Robert Williams game? If Draymond had the most impactful triple single in NBA Finals history in game two, can we call Robert Williams, what he had? Eight, 8 10, and four? I don't know what that is. That's a single double. Is that the most important single double in NBA Finals history? I don't know. If we're going along with the flow of it, the Warriors are going to be desperate the dubs know they got to get this dub or it could be curtains at the crib. Most likely they're going to get the win in game four. If we're doing the ebbs and flows, even your man, C.J. McCollum, who we're going to get into with the whole new media thing. C.J. McCollum allegedly told the habitual nut hitter via Chris Haynes of Yahoo. Yeah, I got Boston winning in game three and I got y'all winning in game four, but overall I got the Celtics winning the whole thing. And the habitual nut hitter allegedly said, he essentially was like, yeah, dogs, but that's cool and all. But just like you, the Celtics are going to leave here ringless. It's a good line. It's a good line. I see why Kyle is beaten the bag. It's a good line. So to sum up game three, and I know I was supposed to have a guest on, but uh, she had some technical difficulties, so we could not make that happen. Uh, we're going to see if we can get her for game five or six, or if it goes long enough, seven. But um to surmise, game three really just came down to size. Who had it and who didn't. Offensively, the Warriors could do almost everything that they wanted. They could get the threes off, even though they didn't really have that much of an advantage from three. But they could get whatever they want offensively. I think they've been able to figure out what they could do. You saw I finally got a good game from Clay. You know, I tweeted out game three clay question mark because he was starting to go off and cook, and he gave you five threes. And he's being aggressive, which is what you want. Even though the shot wasn't falling, he was still being aggressive. And on the road, he turned into that guy, the clay that we all have known over these last few years. So if you're getting that type of clay, obviously that's going to help offset the pressure on Wardell. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Celtics bully balled the Dubs in the paint. 52 points in the paint. 52. In this day and era of... Threes over everything. 52 points in the paint. They beat them boys up. 15 offensive rebounds. 15. The Dubs had six. I mean, the bully ball just ain't just points in the paint, but it's the glass. Celtics had 15 offensive rebounds compared to six to the Warriors. Six. That's a huge huge disparity. And when they gave up those 15 offensive rebounds, they got 22 points. 22 second-chance points. So this is why the game really, you know, each game has had a clear theme that has led to an advantage. Game one, the Celtics shot historically crazy from three in the fourth quarter. Game two, the Warriors did their warrior thing in the third quarter, fresh out of halftime and in game 3 the Celtics bully ball the dub so you've had three different themes in each game three victories three different reasons what's going to be the reason game 4 we're just going to have to wait and see so this perception of new media what do y'all think i would love to hear y'all feedback um hit me up on the elon app because it it's a it's a crazy thing to me that because Draymond has a pod That he thinks he's ushering in this new media. Now, eventually, we're gonna see him take over the Chuck spot on Turner, right? That that's a thing that's it's it's been written in stone. That's gonna happen. Does that mean it's new media? Is doing the pod and replacing another player who's already on TV? New media, like what? What does that mean? It's a good branding. Like he's, I hope he's copywriting it. I don't know if that's something he can even copyright, but I hope he's trademarking. He's doing something like the merch should be coming. But the, the fact that he's thinking this is new media where, well, since players now have all these platforms, dog, it's just the cheapness of equipment. Technology has gotten it to where anyone that has a phone can do a pod. Anyone that has a phone can record a video, can upload it to your platform and curate an audience. Does that really mean this is new media? Just because JJ Reddick and CJ McCollum are out there cooking, overworked and underpaid Fraud A. Smith on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, does that mean that we're in this new era of new media where athletes are going to say the truth? Athletes are tired of, you know, journalists and media guys spewing their opinions. Now we're going to give you the real authentic truth. What have you seen from any basketball player or any athlete in general, mind you, because this same thing is definitely happening in football and in baseball. What athlete have you seen or what group of athletes? We've seen the athlete pods where I've talked about it here. It's just, we're going to give you locker room talk. We can give you access to stories you've never heard before. We have relationships where we could bring people that wouldn't talk to blue check boys. We can give them a platform to come here and sit. And while that's a lane, Does that mean that's new media? We're getting the access to stories. Okay, cool. We're getting access to locker room talk. Okay, cool. Outside of that, are we getting the analysis? Because that's what ultimately I know That's what I want. I want to hear someone break down a game, no matter what sport it is, to make me understand it. Do you think these athlete pods are giving you analysis or information that you haven't heard before already just giving you T is locker room T greater than sign analysis, pinpoint analysis, deep dive analysis. I mean, for clicks and retweets it is, but for actual consumptions of content, is that what it is? Yes. Draymond has a pod, but let me ask y'all something. Any of y'all actually listen to that pod? Like outside the clips that float on the timeline, are any of y'all actually subscribed to the Draymond pod? Like, I haven't heard anyone say, Yo, I listen to the pod. That shit's actually pretty good. I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anyone say that. All I heard is, Yo, you seen that clip of Draymond? That's it. <laughs> His pod is popular on the timeline because of clips. But is that really pushing subscribers? Are we getting analysis? He was giving up tea after game two trying to allegedly break down X's and O's. And you heard him in the back and forth with the uh, blue check boy in the post game where he challenged him. But Draymond allegedly has done that from what I've been told. He's given up some strategies. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that, but you're still playing. I know there's this whole thing of, oh, wow, you're really getting the T because he's still playing. He's in the locker room. He could really tell you exactly what just transpired. But is he though? Because this is where the whole athlete thing can become very similar to the blue check boy thing. Because at the end of the day, it's all their opinion. Just because you're an athlete and a professional athlete at that doesn't mean that your opinion is any more valid than someone else's opinion. If you're not giving the insight and the analysis and displaying the acumen, then your opinion is just like anyone else's. So if Draymond or any other athlete who has a platform gives his or her opinion without any actual information-based facts surrounding it, then it's just an opinion like Fraud A. Smith or any of these other dudes. It's just an opinion. So whether or not J.J. Redick and C.J. McCullum and all these different athlete conglomerate pods, no matter what they do, at the end of the day, once you run out of locker room stories... Once you've run out of, oh, my man's in them, I could go get him as a guest because, you know, he's kind of off the grid with it. What else are you giving us? T-Mac is out here getting roasted because he said he doesn't think Wardell should be in the same company or mentioned to be in the same company as MJ Braun Magic in them. And Warriors Twitter and other haters are just feasting on T-Mac bringing up his lackluster playoff career. But if you actually listen to what McGrady said, it's a pretty compelling argument. And it's not just opinion, he's actually giving you specific reasons why. That's analysis. When you have a resume, it normally enhances your opinion because you've done whatever. You have accolades, right? But when you have these accolades, and you're just giving opinion with no real facts around it. That's where things get shaky and like, And that's where it's like, well, you're no better than the blue check boy. And that's where I think this is dangerous, pinning this thing of all oh, new media. Now we're giving athletes platforms and they're going to give it up. They're going to give it up via their opinion. And if they're going to give it up with their opinion, then what difference are they from the blue check boys? Y'all tell me. Quinn Snyder is up out the paint in Utah, and your man Spider Mitchell is doing everything he can to cry out some crocodile tears. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I, I, feel, I, feel for, I feel for Spider because that man has to lie. He has to lie to cover up the dirty deeds being done behind the scenes. Allegedly. <laughs> so if, you, if you're not hip... Let me help you. So, all right. Spider Mitchell is represented by CAA. And I've been dropping tea. And I think I had a whole pod episode that said that the Knicks were a CAA hotbed. That was literally the title of the episode. The Knicks are a CAA hotbed. And I broke down how CAA is literally neck and neck with clutch in terms of tampering and influencing organizations where its star players reside. Utah now has one of the biggest CAA clients in Spider-Mitchell, and he either wants out or he wants things run his way. So the Jazz had to make a decision. Do we keep Quinn Snyder? Do we re-up that contract? Or do we let him go and acquiesce the demands of not just Spider-Mitchell, but CAA? So much like the Knicks are a CAA hotbed, the Jazz are on the cusp of also becoming a CAA hotbed. Spider Mitchell and CAA made the power play. We need to get Quinn Snyder to fuck up out of here. If you want me to stay, if you even want me to entertain the thought of staying and not force my way out. You got to get Quinn Snyder to fuck up out of here. And not only do you need to get Quinn Snyder to fuck up out of here, but you got to hire a CAA guy in his place. Now, the Jazz have not named a new coach. But in all the group chats I've been a part of, (laughs) it's a done deal, Jack. It's a done deal that a CAA guy will be coaching the Utah Jazz. Now, what if that ain't enough? Can you imagine? the Jazz get rid of a coach who some say is a really good coach? I'm on the fence. He's done some also sus things in his past, but we will look past that today. But Quinn Snyder, I'm not the biggest fan. But you're throwing out a coach that has at least gotten you to the playoffs and they had the number one seed, right? So he's he's been able to coach a team with talent to a number one seed. To most eyes, that means he's a good coach. You're jettisoning him because you wanna pay homage and pay tithes to your star player, to your franchise player, because we know it ain't Rudy. We know, we know it ain't Rudy. Hey, I hear the bulls are sniffing around on Rudy. Interesting. But with all of that, the Jazz are trying to make it known that Spider Mitchell, we want you here. We'll get Rudy the fuck up out of here. We'll ship him to Chicago and get you a Oops, allegedly. 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 (laughs) But here's the real thing about it. This has been the dirty secret since at least the All-Star break. There's been rumors about Quinn Snyder and his lame duck status since the All-Star break, at least from my perspective. I'm sure even those who are even deeper in the league, they probably knew even before that. But this has been no secret whatsoever that Quinn Snyder was not only on the hot seat, but was likely going to be up out the paint. So now that that's happened, if and when they bring in a CAA guy, Does that mean Donovan's re-upping this year? And to take it further, and to bring it to Knicks Tape, if Spider Mitchell's staying, and from all intents and purposes, those Zion rumors have been real quiet to Knicks Tape, what the hell are the Knicks going to (laughs) do? If Zion and Spider ain't coming, what the hell is Knicks Tape going to do? While the Blue Check Boys keep reminding us of how nasty Deshaun Watson was and maybe still is, there was another story that kind of came and went. Jack Del Rio went out here and said the thing. He said the thing and said it with his chest and then doubled and tripled down. He went from Elon Musk at fingers to doubling and tripling down in a press conference the very next day. Since then, he has apologized, but... I mean, I'm going to read it to you verbatim. You tell me if what he got off as an apology is actually an apology for what he said. So let's start from the beginning. And I just want to preface this with saying you have to listen to the words. Jack Del Rio chose his words very carefully, not only in his tweet that got all of this started, but in his doubling and tripling down, he chose his words extremely carefully. As someone that comes from the media world and has experience in terms of journalism and things of that nature, words are used very carefully. Especially in headlines, especially in apologies that aren't really apologies, words are chosen very carefully. But what Jack Del Rio got off was his truth. And I've been speaking about it from quarantine to now. And even before that, on the pause before that, and certainly in the radio shows back in the day, but this is something that, I've been screaming for the mountaintops is just believe these people. When these people tell you and show you who they are, just believe them. Stop fighting them. Stop thinking you can find a way to change their point of view. There's no changing. Just like when we talk about athletes getting platforms and speaking their truth, whether it's locker room tea or perspective or alleged acumen, and we may think and see through the bullshit, that's what it is. Same thing here. Just like Pat Bev get out there on a full letter network and was chastising the point fraud for things that may or may not actually be truthful. He was just getting his opinion off. And this is what got everything started. So I'm going to read you the tweet first and then we'll walk it down as this thing has taken on a life of its own. And Jack Del Rio has given a fake apology that's not really an apology. So he was replying to a tweet that had a link to an article that that's talking about the insurrection. The coup d'etat... That was orchestrated by then President Agent Orange. So Jack Dario said, quote, tweet is still up, by the way. Tweet has not disappeared, not been deleted or anything like that. Would love to understand, quote, the whole story. About why the summer of riots, looting, burning and the destruction of personal property is never discussed. But this is three question marks. Hashtag common sense. Let's break that down. So he wants to know why everyone's making a huge deal about an insurrection, a coup d'etat, on the Capitol orchestrated by the then outgoing president. He wants to know why we're making a big deal about that, but not the riots, looting, burning, and destruction of personal property that was alleged to be going on during quarantine when we had all the social unrest off the heels of the murder, the cold-blooded murder, premeditated murder of George Floyd. So he said that people jumped at his replies and roasted him, Stan Van Gundy being among them. But then he had to go face the press the very next day as the Washington football team is in OTAs and training camp. And there's two clips I got for you because you know I got the sound. You know I went and pulled the clips. I'm here for all the fuck shit. So I'm going to play you the first clip and the first clip is not the viral clip. And I'm going to play you the first clip because you have to, again, listen to the words, understand the code that's being said through the veiled attempt of addressing a topic and a subject. This is what I have to endure in my my industry because there's a lot of double and triple talk. And you kind of have to read between the lines and figure out what's actually being said. So here is your man's Jack Del Rio, fresh off using the Elon app fingers to get his thoughts off talking to the press
1: anything that i ever say or write i'd be comfortable saying or write in front of everybody that i work with players mm. and coaches so mm. uh i express myself as as an american um i oh, have yeah. that ability
0: gotta throw that out there i
1: love this country
0: gotta okay, throw um, that out there too you know
1: i believe what i believe and i
0: i believe I said what i, I want to say I said what i said every now say. and then
1: there's some people that um get offended by it uh
0: So I believe what I believe, and I say what I say. And I love this country. (laughs) If that ain't all the tropes all in a row, he's checking all the boxes. He's checking all the boxes. I believe what I believe. And then he starts off saying that he would say these things to his players' and coaches' faces. He's in a predominantly black league, and if you let him tell it, He would say these things with no problem in front of his players and coaches that are, well, at least the players certainly are predominantly black, certainly not the coaches. But so he's saying he's on that type of time. He's not ducking no smoke. He's not running. I believe what I believe. So like we've talked about this new media, which is not really the media. Players are being empowered and being given platforms for doing the same thing. The habitual nut hitter believes what he believes. Pat Bev believes what he believes. All the smoke knuckleheads pivot. I'm athlete. They all believe what they believe. Jack Dorio also believes what he believes. So now, fresh off saying I believe what I believe and I say what I say and I love this country and he's checking off all the boxes that would make you think he severely leans to the right, which you know if that's your bag, that's your bag, but when it comes to biases, it's clearly showing, clearly showing, right? So now we go to the clip that's viral and same thing here. Listen to the words. He's speaking his truth. He's telling his truth and he's going to show later as was unearthed on the timeline that those actions follow his words. What did I ask? A simple question.
1: Why are we not Looking into those things, if we're going to talk
0: about it. Hang on. Those things. It. If we're going to talk about those things. And it. Those things would be police brutality, systemic racism, institutional racism. Those things won't say them. Won't say the words. He's already telling you what type of time he's on. He's letting you know through not saying racism, police brutality, systemic and institutional racism. He's already telling you that. He's not on that type of time. What did I ask?
1: A simple question. Why are we not looking into those things? If We're gonna talk about it. Why are we not looking it. into those things? The
0: insurrection is it. Because it's
1: kind of hard for me to say. Coup I can it. realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. Mm. You do? People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being right.
0: burned down. Right. No problem. Okay, so let, let, let's go there. So one, what channel you think he's watching? What channel you think he's watching that has all the burning and the looting and all of that stuff that's, that was being done? And we'll get to some stats in a second. What channel you think he's watching that would show that type of violence porn? of certain communities on a consistent loop. What channel do you think that is? Or what streaming platform do you think that is? And Jack Del Rio, I know you don't care because you believe what you believe, but 96%, actually over 96%, but we'll round down, 96% of the protests that happened during the social unrest, during quarantine, 96% of those protests were peaceful. So again, I asked the question, what television network you think is running that 4% into the ground to the point that Jack De Rio thinks this thing was happening every day, everywhere. He's being led down the path by a biased network to enhance his already biased opinions. And then he goes out there on the Elon app and just doubles and triples down with his takes, with his takes. So, now, let's
1: keep it going. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not those looking into those things? If We're gonna those talk things. about it, it. Why are we not looking into those A things? A fucking coup. Because it's kinda hard for me it. to say, I can realistically look at it, I see the images on TV. What channel though? People's livelihoods are being destroyed, businesses are being burned down.
0: Four percent.
1: No problem. Four. And then we have a dust up at the Capitol. Dust up. So there's no, nothing burned down.
0: Nothing burned down. And we're not going to storm about, the We're going to make that a
1: major deal. I just it's, think It's apparently not a major deal. It's kind of two standards. It's and apparently the same not standard, a big deal that And we're going to be reasonable with each other. The then the president That's all it was. Let's formed a, a coup. We're Americans
0: and galvanized his through. base to storm um the for, nation's um, capital.
1: Us. You know?
0: Hilarious. Having
1: a great opportunity to have a fulfilled life.
0: When black um, people are being killed by and so cops, every they can't way, have a fulfilled which life. Which way
1: I can, when I'm here, it's about love and respect. Catch the spark. I love my guys. I respect my guys. guys uh, but I also love the fact that I'm an American, and that means I'm free to express myself. Again, more I'm not afraid to do that.
0: More tropes. So, again, he loves and respects his players. He loves and respects his guys. He loves and respects... The black and brown people that have allowed him to not only have a playing career, but have had a post-playing career in coaching. He loves and respects those guys, but he doesn't love and respect the families and friends of those guys who are victims of institutional and systemic racism, of police brutality. But he loves and respects his guys because those guys keeps his family fed. Black and brown men putting their bodies on the line. Getting themselves concussed, limping away from the game, has enhanced Jack Del Rio's persona, his bank account, and his legacy. So he loves and respects those guys. So then that happens, right? Clip goes viral, it's all over the place. And now we have the apology. That's not really an apology. So all of that happens, and you have your man's Jack Del Rio. He gets roasted, he gets lit up on the timeline. And now we have the apology that's not really an apology. So, and of course he had to make one because as I've talked about, Daniel Snyder's under pressure. He's sneaking around, spending hundred M's on plots of land in Virginia, trying to get a new stadium. But Congress is calling that man down to pull up. They're calling him and Godel to come pull up. And let's talk about this systemic workplace harassment culture that you have incubated throughout your entire tenure as owner of the Washington football team. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to the funny money, too, at some point down the line. But we're going to start here with the workplace harassment shit. So that's been a thing. So the last thing Daniel Snyder needs is his coordinator. Coordinator. Pulling up, saying some wild shit. So within hours (laughs) of the tweet and then the comments that doubled and tripled down at the press conference. Now we have this alleged apology. And I quote, I made comments earlier today in referencing the attack that took place on the United States Capitol on January 6, 2021. Referencing that situation as a dust up was irresponsible and negligent, and I am sorry. So he has said the words, I am sorry. But what he's sorry about is referencing the insurrection, the coup d'etat, as a dust up. He continues, I stand by my comments. Because again, he believes what he believes. I stand by my comments condemning violence in communities across the country. I wonder what communities he's referencing. I just wonder. He continues. I say that while also expressing my support as an American citizen for peaceful protest in our country. Remember those words. And also remember this last sentence. I have fully supported. All peaceful protest in America. So, those last two sentences, I say that while also expressing my support as an American citizen for peaceful protest in our country. I have fully supported all peaceful protest in America. That's the end of the statement. So, here's where we get to show how Jack Del Rio is shaky and the like. 1987 and I tweeted it out on the Elon app it's there screenshot of the article article is valid factual and everything 1987 there was a different type of protest going on it wasn't about institutional racism it wasn't about police brutality it was about the NFL not paying their players correctly the NFLPA and its players decided to not play games. Therefore, that forced the league's hand and the league decided we're going to go hire a bunch of replacement players to play these games because we need to get this money. Fans want football. We're going to give them football. And you know what that did? That caused a division amongst the ranks of football players. You either were pro the union and trying to get better wages, better insurance, better contracts, better treatment, practice habits, so on and so forth. Or you could cross the picket line and return and go get that check. Because the players that were with the union and with the NFLPA were not getting paid. So there were times where you would go to a game and you would see star players picketing NFL games picketing their own team's games. You know who was one of those players? Jack Del Rio. He was protesting outside Arrowhead Stadium. He was there to support his NFL brethren who were fighting for a bigger cause. They were there to fight in improve conditions that they deemed unjust. Jack Del Rio then saw someone that he thought was a scab, a replacement player. And he pressed that player. He fucked that player up. So this man, that in his apology said, I have fully supported all peaceful protests in America. Fresh off saying that he expresses his support as an American citizen for peaceful protests in our country. Didn't even do it his damn self. In 87, fucked up Chiefs legendary receiver Otis Taylor. So he went to a protest and fucked somebody up at a protest. That now makes that protest a non-peaceful protest. Part of the 4% of the protests that you're ranting and raving about that you see on a loop on a certain TV network. You are the problem that you speak about. This is who this man is. Now he got sued. It had to settle out of court. But this man is ranting and raving, asking questions about, well, why are we talking about this when we're t- not talking about that? Well, let's talk about you and your history of being violent and protesting. When you are violent and protesting, it's all good. But when people who don't look like you, that look like the same players that you played with, against, and coached, let's throw them under the bus. Let's throw them under, under the microscope. Let's fix those communities. We need to condemn the violence in those communities. This is who this man is. He will sit there and tell you till he's blue in the face that he is all about peaceful protesting when he has in his heyday, in his prime, has been violent at a protest. that's what that was. Those players were protesting the league and protesting individual teams for having scab players, replacement players. There's been 30 for 30s done on this. So Jack Del Rio is that guy. He's moved the goalpost, guy. So ignore the words, look at the actions. I have fully supported all peaceful protests in America. That's bullshit. Because we have public knowledge of you going to a protest and being violent. Can you believe the audacity? The audacity of Jack Del Rio. The fact that he's out here, he's part of a league. You know, getting back into the comments of why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and destruction is never discussed. How is it never discussed, Jack? You work for the NFL. Your commissioner had to come out and finally admit that they were wrong about Kaepernick and that police brutality is a problem and racism is a problem. There's end racism in the end zone, Jack. So how was that never discussed? What led to end racism being put in the end zone? What actions took place that led to Roger Goodell, 40 M's a year, to take the bullets for the billion dollar owners, what chain of events had to happen for that to take place, Jack? We got there because we all watched George Floyd get killed. We got there because we saw the endless amounts of names that were to follow also get killed and abused. But yet you want to talk about the 4%. The 4%, which a lot of those riots and looting and burning were done by people that look like you, though, Jack. We know how 12 was giving it up, Jack. We know that. I know you don't because the channel you watch doesn't show that. But we know how one time was giving it up and was purposefully setting fire to certain things, Jack. We know. You don't choose to know because you believe what you believe. But we know. But how is this never discussed? When you walk through an end zone, when you're a coach, you walk through an end zone to get to your sideline. You're walking past end racism. But yet you're wondering why this is never discussed. His tweet, by the way, has over 3,000 likes. It's heading towards 3,500 likes. So just so you think, he's not alone. It's as I'm recording, the likes are going up in real time. And this is from a few days ago, and it's still getting likes. So again, when you're in a vacuum, and you're only watching content that is geared specifically for your thoughts and opinions, this is what happens. You're siloed. No outside thought or an opinion can get into your algorithm. We all have our own personal algorithm. We don't need apps for that. We now can choose your algorithm based off the channels that you watch, the content that you consume. Jack DeRio's statement is akin to what about Chicago? That's essentially what he did when it came to the insurrection and the coup d'etat. He what about chicago the insurrection. And the saddest part of it all is that Meanwhile, he's being asked to resign by the NAACP and he may have to sit down for a little bit. He ain't going nowhere. And because the problem is, if you, even if you get Jack Del Rio out of here, as John Gruden has proven, they all think like this by and large. They all think like this. So while they'll be quiet, they won't be dumb enough like Chucky and do it over work emails. They won't be dumb enough like Jack Del Rio to thumb it out on the Elon app. They still exist in that league. You can't have the suppression of player empowerment that we've seen in the NFL historically without having that type of opinion being the overseer. And I choose my words carefully. I do mean overseer. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. I apologize for not having my guest. She couldn't figure it out. We had some technical difficulties that we could not figure out in time for me to drop this. So we'll see if she can spin the block on games five, six, or seven. Uh, in the meantime, game four. Game four is Friday night. And to recap game four with me will be Quashay and Corey from the Not That Serious podcast. Looking forward to that. Will the Celtics be up 3-1? Will the Dubs battle back and even things up at two? We'll find out. As always... Appreciate the feedback on the pods as I keep pumping out the content here. Keep that feedback coming. I need that as I try to push this thing forward to where it needs to be, ultimately. For the Sam D Podcast, I'm the Sam D. I'm out.